first of all, Hannah, I just want to welcome, of course, welcome you to change and everyone else to change for good. It's Thursday. It's July 17th. It's 11 o'clock. It's here in Toronto. Used to start out these change for good uh, conversations saying, well, this is the first week of change for good, or we've been home for two weeks and three weeks and four weeks. And it's clear that doesn't matter anymore. So <laughs> we're, we're all here at home, though. And um, it's a great pleasure to be having these conversations with people like Pamela every week. Uh, Pamela is the, uh, uh, I should say your full name, actually, because I don't know, Pamela Facilli is the, is the president and CEO of Parachute Canada which is um, the leading organization in Canada that focuses on the important issue of injury prevention. And, um, and you Pam, have had years and years of experience in this space and also in healthcare injury prevention, policy development and so on. It's a super great pleasure to be speaking with you today as always. I'm very excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. And, and, um, so he, we, you know, we were just reminding ourselves. I, I asked Pamela a little while ago how I said how long we know each eight years, um, and um, we got to know each other through a process that was one of the most extraordinary things I've ever been through. <laughs> Pamela, you know, you lead this organization, Parachute Canada, which is a merger of, I believe it was five different injury prevention organizations that came together and thought we could do a better job doing this together. And this whole merger process was an extraordinary and complex adventure, which was led by our friend, Rem Langan, who brought this all together uh, in a way that I always thought to myself when watching him doing that, I could never, ever do that, what, he, what this guy is doing. <laughs> and now <laughs> it's an incredible organization. It's grown so much and, and you're the president and CEO of it. So what a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's yeah. a very interesting organization. And that process was, uh, as you said, it was very interesting and um, well worth it, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Well, um, yes. And so we're going to hear much more about about that parachute and your work there. Um, just for everybody here today, um, of course, we created Change for Good, I think it was the beginning of April, um, as a way of bringing people together who are social change uh, in the social change space by sharing what people like you, Pamela, are doing in this area, sharing ideas, giving people inspiration, creating a sense of community, and, um, and ultimately giving people, of course, we don't know what building back better is going to look like, but, um, and there's no real answer, but to give people a flavor of what folks like you are starting to see, you know? And um, also just wanted to remind everybody that if Pamela and I are having this conversation, but I encourage everyone here to ask questions, anything you think of for Pamela, we'll do our best to get to them. And it's an important part of this whole conversation, not just you and I. So um, just to start with, Pamela, I'm always curious. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sitting here at home, you're sitting at here, there at home. And uh, what's life like for you? now <laughs> living you know in uh after uh, however many weeks of living and working at home and tell us give us a kind of flavor of what your life is like and how it's changed sure yeah i think i think we're at a hundred days or something uh <laughs> of working from home um i mean for personally it's actually meant 
way less time on the road commuting. So uh, when I was uh, not working virtually, I used to spend about two and a half hours a day commuting um, to and from the office. So uh, that's a huge change. Um, you know, I've realized I need a proper desk and a chair <laughs> instead of sitting at the dining room table uh, as a, uh, you know, a, a stopgap. So, uh, you know, I, I enjoy working remotely. Um, I, I enjoy having two extra hours in my day for sure, but I, I really do miss seeing and interacting with my team. Um, so it's, it's meant, you know, we've had to have, you know, some, some different interactions than we would normally um, when we used to see each other in the office. We already had a partial work from home um, set up. So uh, people were allowed, you know, we worked virtually um, part of the week, um, but we really, I really do miss seeing, uh, seeing the team and, ha and having those, you know, just informal or, you know, chats in the, in the, in the kitchen that, you know, ideas come up um, that don't now. It's much more, um, Formally, you know, you have to have that opportunity to have a conversation either by Zoom or on the phone. Yeah, interesting. It's 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 good, but not quite good enough. You know, I think. Yeah. Well, actually, I have to say that our, for the first time in the hundred days, I guess, uh, well, our impact team will be seeing each other in person in my backyard today, having drinks at five o'clock. So everybody's invited. <laughs> that, I'm sure that will yeah. be a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. So um, anyway, um, the, we were, I was talking about parachute uh, a little bit a few minutes ago. Um, but for people who aren't familiar with parachute, it would be great if you could just share, you know, what, what this organization, who you are, what you do, why it's so important. Sure. So, um, as you said in the introduction, where Parachute is a national injury prevention charity, and and really, I mean, we think about it as having we have a social purpose. Our goal is for Canadians to live long lives to the fullest, and we know that the leading one of the leading causes of death and serious injury are preventable injuries, and so that's what our our organization focuses on. So we want people to engage in life do all of the things that they, they love to do. Um, and we want them to continue to doing that, to be to do that by preventing um, serious injury and those uh, kinds of injuries that cause death. So what does that include? <laughs> Lots of people ask me what that <laughs> includes. So it means focusing on the leading causes, which are, and won't come of as any surprise to folks, road safety. So issues like distracted driving, speeding, impaired driving. We use the framework of Vision Zero, which people may be um, familiar with. It's been rolled out across the country as well as internationally. Um, falls is another big issue uh, and it may, be, may come as a surprise to some people that uh, it's actually a leading cause of why many Canadians, especially those um, who are senior in 65 plus and uh, young children are hospitalized. We also focus on issues like concussion and poisonings, which we, we found out are a much bigger issue than we previously thought they were um, by looking at some of the various data sources and, and linking them together to 
to see the whole picture. So really what we do is function, I describe it as a bridge between research, um, you know, what's proven to be effective in addressing these issues and action. So what can be done to prevent injuries? And we actually know quite a lot about how to prevent injuries. Um, so the focus is really on that action, that implementation piece. Um, really, you know, you may have heard the term knowledge translation. That's, that's sort of a, a, you know, a broad term around what parachute does as a whole, but it means that we turn information into programming for communities to activate. We publish foundational documents in order to guide those working in those communities and, and those making decisions or policies so that they're based in what we know actually works. We, you know, we have a finite amount of resources uh, and we want to make sure that the, what we're spending our time and money on is actually working. We do a lot of um, awareness raising. So we are very active on social media and with traditional media, but we've had a couple of high profile um, awareness raising campaigns recently uh, that have focused on uh, um, impaired driving, um, cannabis use in, in uh, youth uh, and concussion. So that's a little, uh, it's an overview. <laughs> No, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, you know, I, and now, as you've said that, and what was going through my mind is the connection you know, between injury prevention and, you know, where we are today with COVID. And it strikes me that there obviously are, as you talked about all those things, many connections. Of course, prevention would be, you know, fundamental in COVID, but also it seems like um, it must be that many of the things you just described, there's an influence here. Um, and you and I actually had a chance to talk about this last week. There are many more people riding bicycles. There are more injuries there. Possibly fewer people driving cars. Is that contributing to reducing that? There's maybe concussion, or, or is 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 that gone down because there are fewer people playing sports? I don't I I don't know. But tell us what um, what your um, I you know your thoughts are about why what parachute does is so important today. Well, I think that that you know you've hit on a, a an interesting concept around prevention and the intersection between a number of issues that people are talking about today. So certainly, public health has become very much in the forefront of, of Canadians and and uh, you know internationally. We are a public health agency. Like that's that's the um, the work that we do. Public health works to prevent. Uh, uh, disease, injuries, um, and working upstream, if you will. And so what we've seen through what's, uh, you know, happened since the pandemic and since people have been in isolation, self-isolation or quarantine is that the, it has impacted certain groups of people. So um, our Canadian seniors um, certainly have, we've seen, uh, you know, an you know, the social isolation is a big issue that we've heard mental health professionals talk about, public health um, professionals talk about, um, but it's also a factor in falls. It's a risk factor. So people who are um, socially isolated have, have um, increasing mental health issues, you know, as well as what we typically think about as, you know, maintaining their physical strength and exercise. So, you know, over the last few months, we've been looking at 
the issue of nobody wants to go to hospital right now unless they absolutely have to. Um, we want to prevent one of the leading causes of hospitalization, um, especially with our seniors. Uh, and so we've been reaching out to caregivers, to the seniors themselves with information and, and links to resources and, and through social media messaging, you know, looking at how do we how do we send the message? How do we get the information into the hands of people who need it most uh, and uh, affect the health and wellness of seniors so that they aren't losing their um, physical strength and balance that they may have had before. They're not moving around as much. Um, we don't want them to go to hospital because we know that um, that's often a precipitating factor in uh, the journey to a long-term care facility and nobody has ever said that 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 was their plan to move to a long-term care facility and so if we work upstream if we work to make sure that seniors are um, healthy are safe are in they can live independently as long as possible and that aligns with that mission of you know Canadians living long lives to the fullest we want them to be able to enjoy life and where can we um, intervene in terms of policy making, in terms of information to seniors and their families. So that's one area that we've been that we've been working on. And you mentioned road safety. That's definitely something that we've seen to the forefront. You know, lots of people um, wanting to cycle and walk, not only for transportation but for recreation purposes. And that's a good thing. Um, we want mm -hmm. people to be out and active. Um, so, but there are vulnerable road users. Um, you know, you, you hear about, you still hear, even with the decrease of, of cars on our roadways, you're still hearing about pedestrians and cyclists being hit um, and seriously injured or killed. So it, it presents uh, a number of safety issues, but it also prevents real opportunity for change. And so things like you know, protect, protected bike lanes that would keep people safe while they are cycling, um, but also encourage more people to cycle. Um, you know, it, it sort of touches across a, a number of sectors. Us as injury prevention professionals, we, we want those bike lanes um, because we know that it, it makes the, the environment safer, but organizations working in environmental change or climate change mm. or physical activity, they're all calling for the same thing. So we're starting at different points, um, but we want the same thing in the end. So really looking at these points of intersection, how can we help support each other's agendas, more voices calling for the similar thing, uh, similar things. And so we want to see this type of collective action where we've actually seen it start internationally. We're part of a group internationally that's working on that. So, you know, I think those are some of the things that uh, issues that have come up that have been an opportunity uh, that we've seen that interconnectedness. People are so, um, so aware and conscious of, you know, the, the different areas of their life that are now impacting each other. So, you know, prevention is a concept, as you said, that's being addressed, not only in health, but we hear the, the folks in the economic sector talking about it, the environment. And, and so how can we help and support each other as we go forward? One of the things that um, I feel like central to what you just said is collaboration. Absolutely. between sectors and it feels like parachute is in the middle of a kind of ecosystem you talked about policy you know we've seen the government step obviously step back into this here in canada and around the world in terms of throwing money and creating programs moving and then the business sector 
and then nonprofit organizations. So on so organization like Parachute sounds like it's kind of in the middle of all this. And collaboration is all like to me when I think about collaboration, I think it all sounds really good. Also slow. You know? <laughs> and getting polis getting in the best of times, collaboration could be a slow process because you want to get anyone involved. How but we need fast action now. And look at the situation with, you know, with um with homes for seniors and so on, long-term care facilities. So how are you dealing, how, how is your organization responding to the need for speed? Um, well, I think we, I think the identification of these, these opportunities, um, I think we've seen a huge speed, and this is, this is typically what happens um, in my experience is that, you know, the, the solutions or the actions that we have been um, calling for, asking, uh, or trying to influence, you know, you wait for the open windows you op of opportunity and, and you move quickly at that point. Certainly, you know, you push forward um, regardless, but I think we've seen a huge, I mean, you know, if anyone ever, you know, believes that something can't be done quickly, if we look at what's happened over the past three months mm -hmm. in terms of people making a, a choice, a decision of the point <laughs> where we want to get to, how do we need to get there? Let's put this in place. So I think when there is the will uh, that you can see that this, this can happen very quickly. And so uh, we are looking at ways and uh, windows of opportunity that we may have been calling on for quite a long time, but we now have um, people interested, paying attention, uh, and wanting to actually take action, and we're positioned well to be able to facilitate that as soon as possible. That's, that's really good. I mean, I would, then the other thing that makes this all makes me think of is, um, like, you were doing, I was obviously always important, but now it feels like perhaps perhaps what Parachute is doing is even more important than ever, um, given you had all the same things that you were addressing before, but now it's kind of amped up because there's the context is different, as you, as you just said. So, like, are people pouring money into Parachute now? I mean, is that like, like to say, okay, like, like this, you are the organization in Canada that addresses all these issues. Um, what does your funding situation look like? Is it you know, are, are people calling you more? Are you, what are you doing differently? And what does that look like? Yeah. Oh, I wish they were pouring money into it. <laughs> there certainly is new money um, or more um, opportunities that we have been able to, uh, to apply for. Uh, they certainly aren't pouring money into it, but, but there are some, there are some new opportunities. I mean, as a charity, we're always looking for sustainable funding, which is, it, it's a huge challenge. There's few, there's few sustainable sources of, of funding over long term. So uh, much of our work is project-based funding, and that tends to be, you know, between one and three years of funding, sometimes less. Um, you know, you mentioned we were a, a merger and amalgamation. I think we've proactively addressed the issue of too many charities working in the space of injury prevention. Um, mm -hmm. So right now, I mean, we're coping, but there's a there's an aspect of timing in these kinds of situations. You know, maybe a year ago, we wouldn't have been coping as well uh, than we are right now. But in my experience, I think the true impact of this pandemic 
on funding is going to be felt next year and certainly in the the years after that so we've taken advantage of all the subsidies that we've qualified for but I think that that the things that we're doing are sort of twofold, really looking at those opportunities, being agile, flexible. My team is is nothing but nothing if not nimble. <laughs> so there have been windows that have been opened um, because of the current environment. So uh, you know opportunities to apply for some of the emergency funding that's been provided, you know, by the the federal government and distributed through places like the United Way and Canada Red Cross and and that. So we definitely are um, uh, making sure that we are applying for things that 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 uh, would support work that we want to do that is in line with our mandate. I think that's really important um, that we are, are staying true to our mandate, but there's now an appetite for some of the things that we've wanted to do. And so we're moving on those opportunities. Um, we started this before uh, the pandemic uh, began, but certainly um, making sure that we carve out time to look at some of the the more sustainable revenue streams. So we've been looking at opportunities around social enterprise. What what skill sets do we have that might fit with a social enterprise or where are the needs or gaps that we might be able to do that? So, so this has given us a bit of a boost in terms of um, being able to look in that direction as well. Can you share something that, uh, if you could think of, like, this is a great example of either um, perhaps it's a nonprofit organization, you're working with a community group or a corporation, who in your mind is doing, today is doing this really, really well? Like, what is that example that we could all learn from or what's inspiring to you? You think about it. Um, you know, I think that, you know, the collaboration, I think in the, um, in the social sector with some of the key corporations. So I, I you know, I, I was, I've been reading a lot, which has been an, another um, plus for the this type of situation. Mm. I've been able to take advantage of, of some of these webinars and being able to read more about it. But I think that there's, you know, there's, there's more of a, an appetite to look at a spectrum versus, you know, the nonprofit, for-profit, you know, public-private partnerships. Mm. You know, I've, I, I really have trouble with the nonprofit <laughs> language. You know, it, it's a definition of what you don't do versus what you do do. Um, uh, but that, I love that, it. <laughs> there's, you know, there's, there, and I don't know that we're a social product. Like, I don't know what the term is. Social profit, mm. I don't think is, is quite right mm. either, but certainly it's for a social good. Um, mm. But I see that there, I don't know that there's any one example that for me stands out, but I, I, I'm so interested in the conversations that are happening right now around, you know, what is the role of business in society and in doing good um, while doing well? Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, what, why are the tools that are uh, acceptable for somebody in a for-profit, um, you know, private sector business, mm -hmm. you know, frowned upon on charities or not-for-profits, you know, that could actually do good with some of that. So, you know, the spending around, you know, we talk about overhead and, you know, the fact that, you know, everything is embedded in the work that, that an organization does. You take any 
piece of that away and you can't do that well. And so I, I think for me, I'm excited about those conversations that are happening between for-profit, not-for-profit government uh, around, you know, what are the key um, what are the key expertise and skills and assets that we can bring to an issue and how mm -hmm. do we all contribute to making that that better and I, the, I would love to see more of that happening and I, I think this the the pandemic that you know COVID-19 has has um, meant that many of those have had to come together very quickly. So, you know, the provision of PPE, that may be a, a, a good example of, you know, how, how do we get, turn people who are, uh, you know, making um, cider or wine and they're now making hand sanitizers or, you know, clothing stores or that are now making masks. Uh, so, uh, you know, those are some real examples of how people can be innovative in the face of, of a challenging situation. But it also, I think, demonstrates how we all have those skill sets. If we bring them to a particular issue, how much better it is um, and the outcome if we all work together, as you said, you know, that collaboration mm. sometimes takes time. Sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> sometimes we just need to kind of throw off that red tape and just get to the, get to the solution. Well, I love that. You know, I personally have a bit of a patience problem. So <laughs> waiting is not, not my favorite thing, but I, so exciting to see all this happening fast. Um, and I also, you know, you, you know so much about, policy making and government and so on i don't really and um, um but i've been thinking about it a lot um in this context and um so it strikes me that on the one hand you've got um government who stepped into call it social change in this in this related to covid very very quickly um and um also corporations and others have stepped into the emergency response of this and just starting to think about the future a little bit more mm -hmm. um one of the questions that i have is the government spent such a long time actually kind of you know downloading responsibility in some cases to the private sector and i think hoping that the private sector will do more and they won't have to do as much so now we're seeing the government doing more so where's the question here the question is like do you think that is there, is there a danger possibly that the corporate sector may say, well, you know, the government's more involved in this, you know, we don't have to do as much. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, no. I think that, that, you know, the conversation about who's responsible, not only mm. levels of government, but, but different sectors. Um, mm -hmm. And, and where should the responsibility lie? I know a lot but, of folks uh, <clears throat> that, that I talk to, you know, think, um, um, you know, the work of injury prevention uh, needs to be done by government and others that are on the other op opposite end of the spectrum that think it's an individual responsibility. Um, I think it's usually somewhere in the middle. Um, uh, but I think if, if we approach it with more questions than answers around who, where does this make the most sense? Who has the, you know, the, the legal jurisdiction and, and um, you know, does that need to change? Um, you know, what are we, what are we looking forward to in terms of, uh, of government involvement? And certainly there is value in that in maybe in terms of 
you know, setting standards and things like that. But I, but then I think about the, the innovation and the magnitude of assets that, that corporations um, can bring to uh, certain issues. And as you say, the, you know, the patience factor can sometimes implement way faster than, than governments mm. can. Where do we find that sweet spot, <laughs> if we can, around mm. how do we move forward doing, uh, you know, what's evidence-based or what's, what's um, effective, but we do it much quicker um, and be able to evaluate. Um, you know, I think there's a there's a a concern with you know the the recommendations coming out of government over the last three months. The masks are a good uh, example of don't use them. Yes, use them now. Mandatory, use them. But yeah. but it follows a very sim- that what the what I would um, say is that it's, it's it's similar to any kind of healthcare treatment. You would expect. Um, if they find new evidence for something that's effective, they, that when you go to the hospital or you go to a doctor, what they are actually recommending or the, the treatment that you're getting is, is based on that new knowledge. That because it's in a shortened time frame, it feels like they're just changing their mind every right. you know, couple of weeks. But really, it's, it's, you know, as they get more information, they make more recommendations. So I think that there's a, a, there's a process to a circle back process that needs to happen. Mm of, you know, try something out. If it works, great. And going back to that sustainability question, but if it does work, sustain it, (laughs) you know, don't invest for three years, get it to a point where it works really well and then say, okay, now you have to find out how to sustain this, but it does work well. So I think that there's some lessons to be learned there. So I have a question. We're almost out of time, but what you just said made me think of one question, which is around your organization your sustainability, make it more sustainable, have more impact. So when you think about, you know, the future, whatever that may be, whether that's next week or next year, what is one thing that um, uh, if you've thought about it and your team has thought about it, the parachute will not be doing anymore? And what is one thing that parachute, one thing that parachute is going to be doing differently? So maybe I'll start with the last, <laughs> the second okay. one. What will we do differently? I think that this has allowed us to um, to really test out a couple of, of different uh, functions for ourselves. So we've been doing some of, of similar to this conversation panels, making sure that we get people's voices out t- across the country to um, to people who are working in the air in the area and connecting people we do a really good job of that we have done a very good job of that and I think we've found different ways to to do that now and going forward mm-hmm. um, in terms of something that we won't do that's interesting um, you know, I think from a logistical perspective, I think that that you know working virtually is here to stay. So I think that there will be a, a change to the how we do our work or how we do our work together, um, and that I think is going to take some some thinking in terms of you know h- how do we continue to have a strong team um, and support their creativity, but do it. Um, as a team and how do you do that when you're not always in the same place face to face? Because we know how to do that. We don't necessarily know how to do it, how to do it virtually. Um, so I, I, can't, I can't think of something specifically that we won't, we won't do anymore. Um, but I think it's more about how we're changing or, or the, mm. the, 
the word of the day pivoting, uh, <laughs> you know, to do things slightly differently because of what we've been able to learn throughout this process. Thank you. You know, um, we're out of time. I, I, every time I, you know, these conversations, it's the, the hardest part is stopping because <laughs> you're just getting into it. But I always learn something from you. And I know that everyone else here will uh, feel the same way. And I really appreciate you being here, Pamela. I appreciate the time, you know, appreciate everything your team at, at Parachute is doing in general in the context of today. And, and um, people should check out, is the, is the website parachute.ca? It is, yes. Parachute.ca, so check that out. Um, everyone should check it out. I'm sure there's a way, if you go there, to find a way of supporting it. Um, and, um, I also want to thank everyone at Impact, our great team, who are going to be here in my backyard this afternoon. So I'm really psyched about that. Um, and uh, also wanted to say that um, everyone here and everyone part of our, our Change for Good community will receive a, a link to a recording of, of the conversation that, that Pamela and I have had today and also a link to, to be able to, to register for next week's conversation, which is on June 25th. And I'm so excited about that, um, speaking with uh, someone I've never met uh, named Jen Harper, who is the founder and CEO of an organization called Cheekbone Beauty Cosmetics. Okay. And, um, and uh, when I had a chance to speak a number of weeks ago um, to Tabitha Bull, who's the CEO of the Canadian uh, Council for Aboriginal Business, she was so excited about, um, about Jen's work, and so am I, and I'm looking forward to sharing that with everyone. So really appreciate everyone's time. Appreciate Pamela. Appreciate your time. Look forward to seeing you all next week. Thanks so much, Paul. Take care. Take You're care. You're welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.